You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We recently understood that we're not near 15 years of experience. We have well over 15 years of experience each covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we cover the five biggest stories in manufacturing and the implications they have on the industry moving forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, or subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by giving the podcast a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. Finally, to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com. We're not live this week, so don't ask questions. Although, Anna, this week I did learn that you could say Amazon or Alexa, play the Today in Manufacturing podcast, and it really plays it. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you're just hanging out trying to get your kids to go down for nap time, just say, <laughs> Alexa, play the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We are a big deal now. That's right. That's awesome. That's right. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing this week? Good. Ready to roll. Yeah. Anna? Yeah, except for um, well over 15 years of experience. I don't know if we need to say well over. I think we could say slightly over. Slightly over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just, it was one of those LinkedIn realizations where I'm like, you know, I thought I was rounding up to 15. Yeah. And actually I'm rounding down. Like (laughs) it's, uh, we got, we've been in the industry quite a bit (laughs) and it's all been good. Right. Yeah. All been good. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's get rolling with our top stories this week. All right, our first story. Amazon unveils Jetsons-like roaming robot for the home. This week, Amazon unveiled Astro, a robot designed for your home. Astro is designed to bring together advancements in artificial intelligence, computer vision, sensor technology, and voice and edge computing to serve more as a tool than an expensive toy. For example, Astro can provide live feeds of your home. It can be paired with Ring to send suspicious activity alerts. It uses visual ID computer vision to learn the family's faces and will send messages whenever an unfamiliar person is detected. It can also see if you left the stove on or use its built-in periscope to check the pantry. Charlie Trichler, Amazon's vice president of products, says every home will one day have at least one robot helping out with regular chores. And this one could be in your home, Anna, by the end of the year. Mm-mm, not in my home. <laughs> no? <laughs> uh, Vice tweeted after this announcement, um, no one asked for this, and I could not agree more. This, that was exactly how I felt. Like, oh, not another thing. Um, but, I mean, people have adapted to Siri and Echo and Alexa and all that stuff, so I'm sure that they will be able to sell another eavesdropping robot, but... I thought it was interesting the way the device is being presented. Um, It kind of preys on your fears a little bit with the stuff that you said about like it can check to leave if you left your or check, you know, if you left your stove on. It can Mm -hmm. check if somebody came into your house that it doesn't recognize and it can alert you. So, um, but because it's considered a security device, as you mentioned, it can scan your whole house, it can record it. Um, I'm not comfortable with that personally, Mm -hmm. but. Amazon sure is, and as Engadget pointed out in a recent, um, you know, discussion on this, that at Amazon's recent like tech event where they were unveiling all their new products, like more than half of their new products are security devices, home security devices. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we know Amazon bought Ring a couple years back, 
Um, the company has a strong lock on that home surveillance, the ring doorbell. Um, it's also been a bit controversial in terms of Amazon's like relationships they've developed with police departments and sharing footage of home surveillance and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Engadget's take on this sort of pegs Amazon as this like voracious beast that wants to sell security at all costs and isn't afraid to like casually foment the distrust that's emerging in neighborhoods Mm -hmm. um, where people feel security is at risk. And I feel like they kind of have a point. It's almost like I'm being told I need this. Is it because I need this? You know, um, Mm -hmm. it it does kind of like make you consider, is my home safe enough? And and I don't know how much that's actually based on fact. So, um, so I don't know, maybe we'll see more of this from Amazon. Uh, Is it, is this a product that's of interest to either one of you guys? I don't (laughs) know. Uh, no, it's a lot of fear mongering. I think also, um, all of the features that I read through, I didn't find a need for anything. The only thing that I found that would be of interest is that if I could put this in my grandmother's house Mm -hmm. and make it real simple for her to communicate with us on a regular basis, then I think it would be, it would be useful that way. But it's, I, Jeff, I don't know about you. I don't have a use for this in my home. No, I agree. And I think this was, I didn't pick up the sort of the fear mongering or the over secure type of vibe. To me, I think it was more targeted towards that individual who thinks it'd be super cool to like have my robot deliver beers at a party or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's kind of the vibe I got, which a thousand bucks for that. Uh, I don't know. That yeah. seems, seems a bit high. The one thing I will say with the design, we've been super critical of a lot of these that have this kind of creepy, weird, no head design on a lot of these mm-hmm. bots. This one seems a little bit more friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got the weird a, blinky eyes and does stuff. Does he look yeah. like a dog to you? A dog? No, it does not look like Astro. Every, sm- every, small, dog, or every small robot is called a robot dog for yeah. some reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. But it it's also way less creepy than the Boston robotic or yes. Boston Dynamics yeah. robot dog. Way, yeah. way less creepy. Yeah. yeah. I did think it was interesting. You know, I saw the one quote in the New York Times uh, from Charlie Trichler, the Amazon VP at the presentation. And I don't know if you're going to touch on this, but the quote that I thought was interesting, he said, in one of their senior management meetings, we talked about, does anybody in the room think that in five or 10 years, you're not going to have robots in your home? And everyone was like, yeah, we are. Yeah. Five <laughs> to 10 years for a robot? That seems soon. Why don't oh, you I ask? I think that seems or, late. Why don't you ask real people instead of people who work for Amazon? People mm-hmm. who are designing the product and right. yeah. try to sell yeah. it. Yeah, I, I can't even. I mean, robots. I guess that's a relative term, right? If you look at a Roomba, like that's technically yeah. a robot running around vacuuming. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't think I would be so immediate with that answer. Saying in ten years, yeah, I'll definitely have a robot. For in my sure, house. a I robot. Yeah, I don't feel that. It's. I mean, uh, really, they're just putting your Echo on wheels for a lot of this. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I guess unless there was some really dramatic application change mm-hmm. here, hey, if there's a robot who can wash my windows, yes, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, I'm in. There's yeah. like a laundry folding robot that's in development, and it's really <laughs> expensive, and it's very slow. Yeah. Um, but if we could work on that a little bit, I don't know if you're watching uh, developers, if there's an automation, I would buy it. There's an automation system that goes from the clothes hamper to the washer to the dryer to my drawer. I'm in. Yeah, mm. for sure. If they could somehow just make my socks new again, I'd be happy. Um, one thing that I kind of took issue with was that it keeps me getting reported that it's $1,000, but it's a very limited amount that are going to be $1,000. It's actually closer to $1,500. Okay. Um, and at that price point, I don't know. I looked at some of the other features. like uh, Because what it sounded like to me, not only um, the security features, 
But it sounded like another way to get two to three more subscription services in every house <laughs> because it had um, you can. They say how it can listen for smoke or carbon monoxide alarms or glass breaking using Alexa Guard, which is the company's, you know, uh, basically life alert emergency helpline subscription service. Oh, so you have to add a subscription to do it. Yeah, but they don't say. They just say using Alexa Guard, which costs $50 a month. Holy cow. Yeah, or um, how it pairs with Ring, which is also something that you have to pay for. Like I said, I like the element where it could be a companion to the elderly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talking about how you like how it looks, they actually did a lot of testing on that, testing the robot's personality. And a lot of people said that- Robot's personality? Yeah, the robot's personality. And people reportedly said it quickly became a part of the family. Did these folks also work at Amazon and were part of the product development team or what? Either that or they didn't care for the rest of the people in the household. Have, yeah. have they ever seen a real dog? <laughs> right. Maybe that's we have all these robot dogs. Just adopt one. Um, the other thing was that uh, it can also follow you. So it can follow you around the house. So, cool. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I can see Anna loving this. Yeah. Just like they're like, it can play your favorite Amazon movies and follow you around the house. It's like, I don't want that. No. I actually no. preferred the feature where it said you can like quarantine it. Like, don't leave this room. You put it in a kennel and. Yeah. Well, it's like because it has all these. <laughs> yeah. You create it. You create it. Um, oh, no. That's why we buy robots. Yeah. yeah it was, uh, you know, obviously there were a lot of security concerns with this as well because there's going to be a lot of information that could. Uh, potentially be susceptible. But uh, um, I feel like it's a little concerning that in uh, the release, they had to say, oh, well, you can, it'll let you know when the microphones are off and the video camera isn't recording. Yeah, right. I'm like, no, it should just not Not. be doing that. And you have to turn it on. Right. There's there's an LED light at the top. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's real big. We told you while you were at work, David. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I think it seems steep. And, Kind of to your a uh, little bit to your point earlier. I don't know when the whole wave of like um, making security systems cheaper and more accessible to mm-hmm. everybody was a thing, but I just that's not for me. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many people in our community that post videos from their ring um, or uh, random things from around their house, and I just I don't need the ability to look at my cell phone and you know, tap into a live feed in my house. Stare at your security camera footage all night. Yeah. Why, why is my robot fighting with my cats? You know? Cause it's named Astro. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do either of you guys have security systems like that? No. We have a, uh, we have security cameras on our oh, house. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do you use them frequently? Yeah. I mean, but they also have other features. Like you can tie them into like lights and things. And yeah. So if we're ever out of town, it's kind of nice, but uh, we, for the record, like for all the fear mongering, like we have never seen a single incident in the however many years yeah. of having those cameras. Um, they like alert us if they see a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's never been anybody even like approach our door or anything. So Dude. I guess for that re- reason, it's sort of like reassuring knowing that. Does it make sleeping, you but... feel safer or does it make you feel less safe? I feel okay about it, um, yeah. but I'm also not like obsessed with like watching the footage either. So. Okay. The uh the one feature that I also that kind of struck me is that the visual ID computer vision that's going mm-hmm. to learn your family's faces. Yeah. And then you get an alert like stranger, stranger mm-hmm. at the house and it's just like okay, we got to learn the post office worker as well or Right. Yeah. Worker. And I use our cameras more for like 
you know, knowing when my kids get home from school and stuff like that, like that, yeah. you get alert. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, everyone, we got to stay home today because we got to teach the robot dog our faces. <laughs> totally normal thing we do yeah. in the world now. Yeah. All right. Next most popular story. An autonomous robot may have already killed people. According to a recent United Nations Security Council report, autonomous weapon systems may have already killed human beings for the first time ever last year during the, during the Libyan Civil War. Now, we covered this a little bit previously, but James Dawes from uh, McAllister College says this could be the starting point of the next major arms race, one that has the potential to be humanity's final one. He just he came off real hot, real hot. Militaries are heavily investing in autonomous weapons R&D. The U.S. alone budgeted $18 billion for autonomous weapons between 2016 and 2020. Dawes sees four primary dangers with autonomous weapons. One, misidentification. Two, low-end proliferation, which means the autonomous weapon equivalent of the Kalashnikov assault rifle, where these things would be cheap, effective, and almost impossible to contain. Misidentification, I feel like that one's easy to get. Like, you know, it's ice in the wrong people. High-end proliferation, where nations compete to develop increasingly devastating versions of autonomous weapons, which could lead to more frequent wars, and accountability, undermining the international laws of war. How can autonomous weapons be held accountable? Who is accountable for the war crimes? The weapon, the soldier, the manufacturer, the programmer? It's a serious accountability gap. Now, we had one comment on the site that I thought that actually echoed a lot of the things that I was thinking about. When someone gets, uh, and this comes from Straight Shooter, regular commenter on the site, when someone gets kicked off of Facebook, the algorithm is blamed and nobody is held accountable, as though algorithms just write themselves. When a killer robot kicks someone off the planet, will the programmers be allowed to simply shrug their shoulders and blame the algorithm? What could possibly go wrong? Go wrong. Go wrong. Jeff, what could possibly go wrong? Well, I think the same things that could happen with any type of advanced weapon system, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I understand his his approach here and his thoughts on, on these four areas where these weapons could create bigger issues. But And I'll circle back to the proliferation concept, but that's been going on since the slingshot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yep. mean, you're always going to have that arms race, if you will, no matter what the weaponry is. I don't mm-hmm. think that's, there's any way to avoid that. Now, when we look at misidentification... I get that as an issue, but that's already a problem. And he's talking about being at a bigger scale, a much larger scale with these algorithms and not fixing it. Well, when a soldier makes a misidentification problem, you replace that soldier. In this Mm -hmm. case, you would think you'd be replacing software. If something happens wrong, you fix it. You Mm -hmm. pull it out, you fix it. The other thing is we already have some of this. When you look at all of the use of drones in, in highly volatile situations, now those aren't fully autonomous, which sort of leads into another point. But there is always the potential to miss a target. Mm-hmm. So we're this is not new either. This is not exclusive to these types of systems. Yeah. That's been going on for as long as we've had an Air Force dropping bombs. Yeah. But his point is that if there is human error, there's still a human behind it. Where this, it's not a human behind it. It's an algorithm. And then who do you, you know? Well, and I know he gets into accountability, but... I don't think that shifts just because it's a machine. Mm-hmm. There's still an individual who is charged with placing that machine wherever it is. Yeah. That machine didn't read the news, say, this is where I'm going to war, send itself there and start shooting. Accountability is still in place, whether it's 
the commander in chief, the country, whatever you want to say. I don't think accountability is dismissed simply because it's a machine as opposed to an individual. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing, again, when we talk about proliferation here and how that can escalate out of control, absolutely. Of mm-hmm. course it can. But one of the things that tends to happen with these weapon systems as they become more advanced, the the ways to control or combat those systems also becomes mm-hmm. more advanced. When I was reading this, and again, it's a very interesting article. I think he makes a lot of great points, but I was actually thinking about submarines. Mm. But was, I was recently reading Dead Wake. It's an Eric Larson book talking about the sinking of the Lusitania, the, the beginning of World War I. Mm. Now, basically there, they had a hard time at the beginning of both World War I and World War II finding these subs, combating them, understanding what to do. But there were advancements in sonar and other technology that eventually made them less of a threat and less of a concern. Mm. Also, when you're talking about submarines potentially taking down passenger ships, which is what the Lusitania was, again, who was accountable? Mm-hmm. The sub commander, Germany, was it okay because they were at war? All these things, none of this is new, I guess, is my point. It's always been going on. It'll always be there when you look at these weapon systems. So think, you're thinking that there will be, uh, with this will come greater countermeasures. True, but then it, it, it builds on top of each other, yeah. right? We get yeah, smarter in finding them. They get smarter at eluding them. I mean, it's just, you can't stop that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's great. I guess my point is, I don't think it's greater here. I think it's just part of the mix, mm-hmm. unfortunately. The other thing I was just going to comment on, too, is, you know, we have to, when we start talking about autonomous, I think it's important to define that. Mm-hmm. What is fully autonomous? Yeah. Are the drones that we use right now, are those fully autonomous? Because most cases they do still have a pilot mm-hmm. on the ground mm-hmm. controlling them, seeing what's going on. Right. I would hope that's kind of what we're still talking about here. Yeah. Potentially not. The other thing I think is important too is we're still a long way from any type of fully autonomous military application. Mm-hmm. The closest one I could find was basically, um, I think it was earlier this year, earlier this spring actually, the Air Force uh, came out with the Skyborg which was their first autonomous jet, fighter jet. They're still looking at it used in along with manned um, Mm -hmm. aircraft. So not going by itself, still has somebody controlling it, telling it where to go, telling it what to do. So a lot of interesting points. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of interesting um, points that he brought up, interesting dialogue, but I think it may have been a little over the top in my opinion. Well, we did the story a couple of weeks ago about the two, uh, about the robots, uh, what is it, at the Israel uh, Mm -hmm. border. And with the guns, but, you know, they're not working. They're not on autonomous, but the entire robot is. So, I mean, as far as fully autonomous robots being out there and being weaponized, they're on, They're out there already. And the other thing is that I wanted to kind of uh, um, ask you about was that, so a lot of times you talk about um, how these help keep soldiers out of harm's way, you know, mm-hmm. because they're not manned. But one of his points that I found interesting was that, as a result of that, you know, uh, casualties are usually what causes a lot of that accountability or a lot of people to second guess, you know, uh, a conflict. So he thinks that this might cause more frequent wars because, you know, it'll just be, you know, it sending won't a machine yeah. instead yeah. of sending a person. There's still casualties. Yeah. It's just not soldiers on the offensive that are being put at risk. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I guess I don't buy into that either mm-hmm. because again, they're not shooting at rocks. They're yeah. shooting at live targets. And as long as that's the case, there still is that level of accountability. I think there is still going to be propensity to be careful with what you're doing because there are a lot of, a lot of human rights groups and a lot of activist groups out there that rightfully so do have the public's ear and mm-hmm. are going to hold people accountable regardless of 
who it is mm-hmm. that is at the other end of that. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it's not that casualties are completely removed. It's We're not at a point unless he's referring to robots shooting at robots, yeah. <laughs> which is not what we're what we're looking at here, I think that's the that's not what the concern is. Mm-hmm. The concern is autonomous, armed autonomous machines shooting at other human beings. Mm-hmm. So as long as that's the case, I, I don't think that accountability element okay. is gone. And uh, he also says that the problem is not just that these errors occur, but mm-hmm. when they do, the makers or the manufacturers don't often know why they did or correct them necessarily. Yeah, so he brings up some sort of interesting examples that further illustrate the point that we're still really far off on some of this autonomous technology. Um, for example, James Dawes, the author, said that a at, at one point a neural net designed for use in a Pittsburgh hospital identified asthma as a risk reducer in pneumonia cases. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's wrong. Touch off. Um, might be might be off. Um, image recognition software by, used by Google identified African Americans as gorillas. And a machine learning tool used by Amazon to rank job candidates systematically assigned negative scores to women. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, so he he contends that that when AI systems err, they err in bulk, and that when they do, their makers don't know what to do. They don't know what went wrong, how to fix it. With that said, like, is all autonomous technology bad and should be abolished? No, even if I thought that to be true, that wouldn't happen. We're too, uh, that's too late. Mm-hmm. But I think what he does fail to acknowledge, and I think this kind of jumps off of Jeff's point a little bit here, is that so much development is happening as this stuff is being tested, and none of that makes any kind of headline. Mm-hmm. So in reality, I think the problem more likely stems from tech that's being rolled out way too soon. Um, you know, We've seen that with automotive. Yeah. We've seen that with all kinds of you know, some of these AI algorithms like he, he just, I just mentioned that, that he had used an example, but because, you know, because the risks, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's clear there needs to be some regulation here. Mm -hmm. Um, and that the longer that we wait on that, the more inherent the risks will be. I think, you know, globally people need to decide what it is, what kind of framework it is that we're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But, um, but to Jeff's point, you know, there's a lot of of recourse here that's just not being acknowledged. Like yeah. I don't think that this is just. I mean, it, the article is terrifying. I think it's a, it's intended to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit pants on fire. I don't think that there are any like safeguards that, um, you know. I think some of that stuff is being overlooked in the report. That's my opinion. The other thing I would say too, though, is he's part of the solution here Mm -hmm. because as you guys have brought up before too, you know, Elon Musk and some other real smart folks have been today, we got to be careful with AI and all this autonomous technology. Having this conversation is what does help keep it in check as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it is no small amount. I mean, it's $18 billion that's being spent on it just in the U.S. So if there's anything that can rally a public together, it's tax dollars. I think probably not though, because like you said, that's for it's a it's always justified in terms of soldier preservation. Yeah, and it's true, it's accurate. Yeah. I mean, they're not going into harm's way; they're sending in a robot or something instead. So. Turn, yeah, no. So if there's one thing to not take from this article is that no one will rally about those eighteen billion dollars. <laughs> <No. laughs> All right, our next most popular story this week: lonely lover triggers plant evacuation with bomb threats. Last week, a woman in Maine called in a pair of bomb threats at Puritan Medical Products. When asked why she did it, she said she wanted to spend more time with her boyfriend, a company employee. 33-year-old Kayla Blake 
was arrested and charged with terrorizing a felony. About 400 workers on first and second shifts were sent home or asked not to report to work that day. Puritan makes swabs used for cleanroom, diagnostic, environmental, and forensic applications. The two plants that were shut down were actually making COVID test swabs. Now, I've heard a lot of interesting ways to have a day off of work, Anna. This was never one of them. Kayla, I'm sure your boyfriend's great. (laughs) (laughs) But this was a bad choice. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it seems worse that this because this company makes swabs for COVID-19 testing, like something we are very much in need of at this time. Mm -hmm. You wonder if the punishment will be steeper um, or if that will be taken into consideration at all at her sentencing if she is convicted of this crime. Um, which feels like they know who she is and have some evidence. <laughs> yeah. There, so that yeah. may be maybe likely. Um, but like if this f- facility were to be classified as like a, some sort of critical infrastructure um, and some of that, as we know, yeah. those designations changed a little bit during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, she could get the book thrown at her possibly. Yeah. Uh, I think it varies from state to state, but I know in some places like a business can actually um, like get restitution money um, if a a bomb threat or something, some kind of threat like, uh, you know, disrupts to the point that they lose money. Um, You wonder how high that number could go when you consider downtime for a product that's in super high demand. Um, I mean, she may have just been better off if her boyfriend had worked for just any other kind of factory. I don't know. I don't think a judge is going to look kindly on this. Um, So yeah, not a, not a good choice, Kayla. Now, Jeff, people have made some crazy declarations of love in the past, but uh, I've never heard of the bomb threat, I love you. And she doubled down. It was yeah. two bomb she, threats. She went for it. Yeah. Like it was, this was, once was not enough. She is, she's into her man here. Mm-hmm. You know, she needed him home. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of with Anna with here. You know, first of all, I'm glad this kind of fell in the middle of the, the topics we're going to talk about. Yeah. Kind of a, a nice uh, deviation from fear-mongering and mm-hmm. weaponized robots. Yeah. So well done there. And something we can all agree on. I don't think <clears throat> there's going to be like a spoiler on the panel that's like, yeah. good job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That was a good idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I will was, die on that hill. And I was kind of thinking where you were yeah. in terms of like the penalty and stuff. And hopefully she... She deserves more than a slap on the wrist here. Yeah. It's one. It's bad enough to call in the bomb. I was thinking, I mean, we've talked about all the plant downtime, these folks missing work, all that kind of stuff, but also just the first responders that had to get out there. I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a ton of effort, time, energy, and those folks have no problem doing it. But when it's wasted mm-hmm. over something as foolish as this, I mean, part of her sentence should basically be like, I don't know, being their gopher for six months or something, basically, whatever yeah. they need Go to get ready. School. Like, it's a sitcom. She's actually got to be your butler. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this just. coffee is terrible, were, Kayla. Put on a bomb suit yeah. once. Yeah. Okay. Well, no kidding. Right. In all seriousness, I mean, that is a huge drag on those guys and be dealing with two of them. Well, and well, think, mean, too, like, like with the worker shortage and stuff, like how psychologically damaging it was for those workers to think that oh, a bomb yeah. threat was called into their workplace. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not leaving no impact on those workers. Well, and I think it kind of shook the entire community. It's a smaller community of only 4,000 people. And the first bomb threat targeted the one factory. But then she came out with the second bomb threat and said that she had four different devices around the facility. So it was just uh, made things go from so, so bad to so very worse. Yeah, just, I mean, horrible. And again, I think she deserves a little bit 
a little bit harsher penalty. And this this plan itself had been growing huge, like in recent years, even before yeah. COVID. Mm-hmm. Big expansion, mm-hmm. hiring more people. So a success story in that community. And this is what it unfortunately gets more attention for. Embarrassing. Yeah. Can you imagine being the boyfriend going into work the next day? Man. Can you get fired if your girlfriend calls in a bomb threat? I think so. You can, No. Yes. Get, I think so too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Huh? yeah. I mean, uh, it's, I guess if it's a right to work state. Yeah. I think, uh, it's just, um, you know, you just walk in the next day going to make some swabs. Yeah. Hey guys. Sorry. Hey, are you Kayla's boyfriend? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got to talk. Yeah. First round's on me. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, some of the things that are crazy is that like the bail is not insane. It's only $1,500, but also do you bail her out? Or do you just let her maybe give it a think? I mean, it's hard to know. Like, what is he implicated in this? Like, if he came home after the first thing and then they wanted more time together, that's when she calls in the second one? Is that how that happened? I don't 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 know. know. I just hope the quality time was real quality time because it is going to be in short supply after this. Yeah, I I hope you didn't spend your afternoon watching Rachel Ray or something. Oh like. man, it's gonna come out that they just like needed to finish something they were binging on Netflix. Oof. Just like, man, we got halfway through Squid Game and we had to watch the rest of it. Squid Game. It's uh no, uh I also it also made me think about how not just the worker shortage, but we have such incredible supply chain problems as it is. And uh she shuts it down for two shifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not cool. Also, kind of a lazy bomb threat. I don't know. A lazy? What's uh, a, what's an energetic? What? I guess it's not. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you even get. How it would in your mind. you make a bomb there's threat, only David? Four? I never would. <laughs> what? There's only four. No, just like uh, I don't know. I can't even like. A lot of times when these things happen, you can kind of try and figure out where they're coming from. But she's just like you know. He goes to work. She's sitting on the couch like. Hmm. I'm really lonely. Don't, don't you love how you said something as opposed to us just kind of letting you back out of it? We just yeah. get right in there. Want yeah. a little more detail? Well, no, Let's I'm, see if we can implicate you in some sort of, yeah. you know. Of things I'm willing to Tell us about to, like, your ideal bomb threat, David. Yeah. yeah, no, that's something that I, we're not even floating out into the universe. Um, but no, here's how I do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. I uh, hope nothing but the best for Kayla and her significant other. Uh, maybe counseling, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Our next most popular story: cracks found on International Space Station. Cracks have been spotted on the International Space Station. The cracks were found in August, and no one knows how they got there. Officials believe there could be more, but they're not really a crack so much as a scratch on the surface of an aluminum plate. Still, there are at least six of them, and some think that they're going to continue to spread and create quote an avalanche-like failure of numerous elements aboard the ISS after 2025. It could just be that the ISS is getting old. It's been orbiting Earth for 20 years. Eventually, it's going to be decommissioned. But who will make its predecessor? Sounds like NASA is hoping a private company will take the reins. So, Anna, SpaceX brings you the next International Space Station? I mean... Maybe. It's not the worst idea I've ever heard. I mean, it almost seems like we're doing the same thing with space as we do here on Earth in America, which is ignoring the maintenance side of these critical systems because people don't want to spend money on non-exciting maintenance, like things we don't see. Yeah. 
So like, you know, we've got money for the web telescope and new spacesuits and, you know, endless amounts. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Like you said, the experts are saying that we can expect it like basically an avalanche of failures by 2025, which is super soon. duper soon. Yeah. So this means the process to fix this needs to start like yesterday. Mm-hmm. And we know that the timeline overruns on space projects are par for the course. It always happens. This is not a very long timeline. Um, something needs to be done. Unfortunately, like, uh, you know, NASA has been a very large contributor to the ISS from a funding standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, the extension of funding is in the hands of Congress. Um, so there will no doubt be some drama <laughs> around how and when and where this is addressed. But to me, it's very alarming to consider that the world trusts the ISS to be safe for what are really like the top minds in aerospace research. Mm-hmm. This isn't something that we can just play fast and loose with. And despite, um, but despite, you know, the flashy headline, I think it's really, you know, it's infrastructure again. We're talking about like making solid choices to like build a good foundation for whatever it is that's there. Were you talking about the space station or like a relationship there? Good choices. Yeah. Build a solid foundation. I'm still thinking going about forward. Still thinking about Kayla. You yeah, know? This, just, is, yeah. this is for you, Kayla. I just yeah. I just want you to think about Um So the space station cost a hundred and fifty one hundred and fifty billion dollars to billion. develop and build. Mm-hmm. And as you said, NASA paid for more most of it, with Russia, Europe, Japan, and Canada contributing. And what that sentence made me think of was like when as a family you go in on a gift together mm-hmm. and it's like you get like 90% of the cost and they're just like yo can i sign the card it's yeah. like you can sign 5% of that card you can yeah <laughs> oh you're that guy oh yeah yeah okay you can leave a uh, a fingerprint on it um and it's just like no 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 we all paid for this together and that's just sitting there like right <laughs> right your guys found the scratches yeah. Thanks, guys. Russia's like... Thanks, Russia. Russia's like, well, I only had one escargot, and the U.S. had, like, seven, and so I would prefer to not throw in on those apps. Yeah, we're just... Uh, we're just we're only going to pay for what we have. Yeah, I, did yeah. you even eat bread? I didn't even have any bread, so... Um, but I think, Jeff, when I see $150 billion spent on this, I think that, you know, SpaceX has been a company that's been able to capitalize on a lot of government contracts... Maybe they see that number for something that was built 20 years ago, and they're like, what are you willing to spend on the next one? Yeah, that seems low. Like, yeah. with all the numbers we throw around, $150 billion, uh, you know, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, it is space, after all. But yeah. I think I do think this is getting – it's a hostile environment, obviously, but uh-huh. we're talking about scratches on the paint. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be blowing out a little bit. I'm not saying don't fix it. Are you a but, space station expert, Jeff? Yeah. Well, Anna, funny you should ask. <laughs> no. Um, well, I, I did run across. We actually ran some stuff when um, the Russian cosmonauts first saw some of this stuff going on. And there was actually, in this very section of the ISS, there was an air leak. This mm. goes back about a year, year and a half. And what do you remember this? We actually ran this. They used tea leaves mm-hmm. to oh, yeah, find yeah. the leak uh-huh. and, they, and all that. And I thought it was interesting because at that point they did. They found basically the equivalent of space duct tape to patch it up mm-hmm. and yeah. stop the air leak. That's all it's going to take, you think? Is some- yeah. Well, the reason that I say maybe it's maybe it's blown a little bit out of proportion is when they found that leak, it was it was leaking 0.4 millimeters of mercury per day. The what it would need to take to register as an emergency is 0.5 millimeters a minute. Mm. Mm. So it it was significantly like 
exponentially less. It wasn't a crisis, but it was an air leak, so it gets tons of attention. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you need to address it. Okay? Yeah. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But it is a 23-year-old structure. I mean, it can't be a surprise this stuff is is popping up here and there. They've just basically been tacking stuff onto it since they got it up there, making it bigger, accommodating more people. So whether the answer is SpaceX mm-hmm. or further investment in that current structure, yes, it's needed. I don't think it is – it's easy for me to say down here – as dire a consequence maybe yeah. as what it's being perceived as. I feel like when you're up there, it seems quite dire. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, um, Jeff flies out there with a big roll of tape, space yeah. tape. Here, this guys, is just a I scratch on the pan. I'm just yeah. going to roll her. Yeah. Paint. <laughs> Slap this on there. Yeah. Um, I, think the co- I think the answer is maybe a combination of, you know, you throw a couple of things of duct tape up there on the next launch mm-hmm. and then maybe start planning what you're going to do for the next one. Um, loyal viewer Alex has asked a question. He would like to know, where does this go after it's decommissioned? Alex, it gets incinerated. Yeah. You well, can also, just throw trash in space too. We've decided. There is it, actually that place. What is it? The Indian ocean? No, it's right between, it's between <laughs> South America and Europe. Yeah. It's like a big pocket where all that stuff crashes. Mm. So there is a pocket in the ocean where this will be targeted. Most of it will burn up, yeah. but some of it will make it in there, and it'll join the other space junk. Space, space trash junk, in yep. the yeah. water. Oh, okay. We did do a video on that a while ago. Yeah, it's um, that's that's incredible. And uh, I don't know. I think uh, maybe talking about what the answer is for the future, maybe it's a good idea to do that. Maybe. Yeah. I would. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Our next most popular story our most popular story this week, airline exec calls Boeing's pricing delusional. Ryanair is Europe's budget-friendly airline. It carried more passengers than any of its competitors in 2020, which probably wasn't a high bar. The company's fleet is all Boeing, which helps the airline or in, <clears throat> which helps the airline streamline operations. The company has 300 planes currently in service, but it wants to have more than 500 as soon as 2024. However, talks between Boeing and Ryanair have collapsed after both sides agreed to waste no more time on these negotiations. They broke down hard and fast. Ryanair CEO Michael O'Leary says talks broke down because Boeing was, quote, delusional and had unjustified and inexplicable demands. It might force the company to switch to competitor Airbus. Jeff, good news for Airbus. Maybe, maybe. I think this is, first of all, I love it when, this almost seems like we're continuing with this relationship theme here, Mm. calling somebody delusional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that that sounds like a, uh, I don't know, a spat. (laughs) Yeah. Between two. Boeing is so crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just went next door. It's like, can you believe what these guys are doing? I can't believe this. I thought I knew them. (laughs) Been together for how long? And now they're pulling this? Delusional. Man. So what's interesting, I think it is somewhat of a negotiation tactic. I mean, it's been all over the place. Boeing's had all sorts of issues. Mm -hmm. I think they need to obviously retain this type of customer, such a big customer, and right in Airbus's backyard, kind Mm -hmm. of. So um, I think that's what this comes down to. And I think one of the things that was interesting in doing a little bit of research, Boeing, despite all their issues, they haven't out-delivered Airbus, but they have out-sold them so mm-hmm. far in 2021 by like 100 planes. Interesting. Yeah. So now it, 
what's so crazy with this airline ind- or with the aerospace industry, when they sell these planes, they automatically adjust for the number that will either be canceled or they won't be able to deliver. Mm-hmm. And it cuts the number like in half. <laughs> so even though Air- Boeing has sold like 630 planes, they're not sure if they'll even be able to deliver like 300 of those oh, at wow. the end of the day. Yeah. And th- it's the same dynamic with Airbus. But still, Boeing is obviously highly competitive. Between Boeing and Airbus, they own more than half of the airline industry in terms of the planes that are bought. So, you know, Ryanair, I can understand the negotiating tactic, but be careful. Because mm-hmm. if this is who you want to you want to stay with, these guys, you know, you do have to – can't just be calling them out all the time. You have to – yeah, be mindful in preserving your end of the relationship too. Mm. Yeah, you know? I feel like two way street. I feel like Ryanair looks over at Boeing, and Boeing's just like, "You're blinking first. I don't know. It's uh, what what I understood from the article is that, and it sounds like Ryanair's business model and efficiencies are tied so closely to Boeing aircraft that they're the ones that don't have a lot of bargaining power here. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yes, that's true. I think that, um, you know, O'Leary has been blasting Boeing for months now. <laughs> and both sides seem to think that if they maintain discipline on pricing, then they're at a stalemate. Um, mm. It's the classic kind of supply chain push-pull that you see in many industries where suppliers and customers trade leverage. And now Boeing, who's been a punching bag for the last few years, over one scandal after another, mm-hmm. is getting to push back a little bit. And the experts in this article say rightfully so. But it's hard to believe, I think, as you guys are alluding to, that this isn't just posturing on behalf of Ryanair. Like you said, Ryanair switching partners entirely would be a monumental upheaval and threaten their entire business structure, profit margin in the near term, mm-hmm. which I don't think in the near term um, you know, when airlines are trying to dig their way out of the pandemic, people are looking to cut any profits or sales in any way. So, um, you know, Reuters recently reported, since we ran this article, they reported that um, a different Ryanair exec had said that he believes the Boeing deal will come our way eventually. That Mm. was his quote, will come our way eventually, but that the airline is in no hurry. Mm. I don't see this going much further than the two sides kind of jockeying as much as they can until they settle on a deal. You just don't usually see it happening publicly, which I think is hilarious to watch, by the way. I I want them to stop using the delusional term and just make it like a wrestling promo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm coming for you. You're going to bring those prices down right now. Yeah. I'll meet you in the steel cage. (laughs) It is coming to that in terms of how people lose their cool very publicly yeah. it's it's sort of out of the it's uh it's the negotiation playbook now yeah where it's just like play nice it's not working out tweet something you know and there <laughs> aren't they saying that like people are like losing their like on airplanes all the time now yeah. that's like oh. happening regularly oh yeah so maybe this guy o'leary is just he's in with a bad crowd <laughs> <laughs> he had a bad he was, flight he was already at the brink um no but it, like uh a lot of problems that we run into with other airlines, you know, where there's not a crew or there's not a pilot, mm-hmm. they've solved those problems because by having the same plane, everyone can fly everything. You know, it's uh, right. Exactly. And yeah. Uh, yeah Southwest does the same thing. And it's I mean, look how profitable they are compared to some of the other airlines. Yeah. You think they're doing something right yeah. there. It's uh, we're going to upend our entire business model <laughs> because they're not playing nice. I, know. Um, I like the one aerospace analyst that said. You know, there are airline execs who would like to think that when manufacturers lose pricing power, they never get it back. But that's just not the way that it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to in case you missed it. 
some of the stories that, you know, might not have been the most popular on the website, uh, but, you know, still could make a big impact on the industry going forward. And uh, when I thought of making a big impact on the industry going forward, I thought toilet troubles. Mm-hmm. So my in case you missed it this week, toilet troubles triggered alarm on a SpaceX mission. In September, SpaceX's Inspiration4 mission sent four civilians into orbit. It was inspiring, but it also meant that if any problems arose, the amateurs would be on their own to fix it. And a problem came up with the toilet. The fan that creates the suction to make sure that human waste goes the right direction in the zero-gravity environment malfunctioned. And an alarm, alarm went off. Obviously, the crew has a line with the SpaceX team, but it kept cutting out. About 10% of the time, they kept losing the feed and they couldn't talk to the crew at SpaceX. Now, these amateurs managed to fix the problem before things got messy. But it is going to be something that you consider in the future of space tourism. Now, you can get... So, these people are paying for... You can get a seat on Virgin Galactic ship for as low as $250,000. Or you can pay $55 million a person if you want to spend a few nights on the International Space Station. But if one of the caveats is, hey, uh, if the toilet goes, you also got to fix that. Yeah. that's. Do you think Mission Control is like, what did they just say? <laughs> what? What's the problem? No, Mission Control has all the alarms. And when that one went off, they're like, that is not a good one. That's not oh, a good man. one. Who's got this one? Yeah. Who's handling this call? Yeah. How do you say, hey, guys, hope you're enjoying the flight. Uh, we're Can having a problem it? with the components that stops feces from flying into the aircraft or the craft. So who wants that one? Yeah. Got to hold it. Mm. I would take a plastic bag and try to like into a corner it if that's the best I could do. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully they got all this duct, this space duct tape. I couldn't. If, I don't like, think that's going to help you there. If there's no requirement whatsoever as to like your abilities to address some of these problems before mm-hmm. you buy this ticket, then mm-hmm. you do not want me on that plane with you yeah. because I would just be like, I, 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 yeah. I, I don't. I, wow. I think these are some yeah. of the realities people need to understand. Is they're just like, <laughs> I'm going to space because I want to float. Space. I want to float. I think it's going to be great in zero g. It could be really not great. But, but okay, but like also, this is very funny. But if it were something that were maybe a critical component or something, and you're up there alone with like three other strangers mm-hmm. that have no at all capabilities necessarily required to be there, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, like, uh, not doing it. The tea leaves start getting sucked out the side, and you're just like, I feel like that's going to be very bad yeah, for Jeff all of us. Yeah, Jeff put space tape on something and the space tape came off. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah, I think this story makes me join Anna's feelings about space travel. I think mm-hmm. I'm on board now, um, which means I'm not on board. Which is yeah. funny that we're, we're even like, like I would never do it, even though it's like $250,000 to do so <laughs> like, We would also point. never do it. Yeah. I mean, say they do some sort of press tour. Say <laughs> there's like a lottery. And, yeah. yeah. No, it's... Uh, I, because I'm on the other side where I really I like the idea of space tourism, knowing that it's not a reality for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, this story definitely would made me go, oh, that would be up there with my worst nightmare. <clears throat> Some kind of backup litter box type yeah. situation. Well, the uh, I believe the backup they go old school where 
astronauts just affixed plastic bags to themselves. <laughs> That's how they did it. Yep. Mm-hmm. We are sorry, everyone who is mm-hmm. watching this. Yeah. Or yeah. listening. Yep. Watch it over the lunch hour, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, Anna, what's your in case you missed it? This, this is a very different topic. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so California will be the first state to require hourly wages in the garment industry. Um, I don't think this is widely acknowledged, but those who track the garment industry know that the reputation Southern California has for what are essentially sweatshops. Um, Garment production is a huge industry there. And often the exploitation of workers gets buried somewhere in the supply chain. Like California's governor, Gavin Newsom, has just signed a law that prohibits companies from paying workers per item produced. Mm-hmm. And requires them to actually use standard hourly wages for those workers. And the reason is the per item standard has long been accused as a way of depressing wages. Uh, the bills from Newsom also put some pressure on the companies um, that hire contract manufacturers to do that work, which has traditionally been a way for retailers to kind of hide behind an above board supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, It's interesting because a few years back, the Department of Labor started to go after retailers as well, saying stores like Ross and TJ Maxx and Forever 21, um, they were pricing their goods so low that the suppliers had no choice but to produce them at illegal wages. Uh Uh, Anyway, (laughs) the California Chamber of Commerce hates this and says that it's burdensome and will drive business out of California. Um, And California, as we no or, or could guess um, seems to be perpetually ranked as like the worst state for doing business. Mm-hmm. But the LA Times recently pointed out that despite this, California's economic growth outpaced the so-called most business-friendly states over the 10-year period ending in 2019. Um, so I guess there's it's a little more nuanced than mm-hmm. than just taxation, wage rates, regulations, and the like. And it appears Newsom is kind of gambling that this will work as well. But it's interesting, I mean, for those workers who are predominantly, like, migrant workers, um, Mm -hmm. women of color, uh, this, I think, is a good thing. No, I I thought so, too. I thought it sounded like a really good thing, but that was my immediate reaction was, looks like the garment industry is leaving California. Um, Maybe not. I don't know. Like, you know, if you look at some of the other data, it indicates that that maybe this is just a little bit overblown. No, that's, uh, I found that to be really encouraging. Uh, Jeff? Your take on the story. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously positive. Um, the thing that's always tough with California and some of those other states, too, is the cost of living is so high out mm-hmm. there. So that's what you, you're you hoping these wage increases are commensurate with that so they can make a workable wage and stay out there. Um, so, yeah, I think that could only be a positive idea. Because I think when you look at some of that economic data, too, it sort of gets squished together as a composite as opposed to looking at the individual numbers. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a lot more people working – yeah, they're making more money and they're having a greater overall economic impact, but individually they're not growing, they're not gaining a foothold there. So, and that's what you really need to create that base for a, a solid infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So. Um, all right. Before we moved on to uh, Jeff's, in case you missed it, uh, the one thing I forgot to add about the um, SpaceX toilet story. <laughs> oh, good. Um, We're back to that. Okay. <clears throat> thank you. Could you imagine? <laughs> Remember when Jeff Bezos came back all space crazy and yeah. said, we got to bring industry to the moon. He was space crazy, yeah. Do you think his reaction would have been different if while he was up there, he had to fix the toilet? Yes. <laughs> yes. That actually would be hilarious if like a billionaire is up there mm-hmm. and then the toilet malfunctions and then they're just like, eee. Yeah, right. What do I do? <laughs> Make it happen, yeah. somebody. Francis up there. Doesn't look good, mate. Um, 
Isn't he, he British? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure this is. example. Not this example. Sir Richard. I'm pretty the sure. of Australia. I'm pretty sure he says mate. Uh, no, but that was uh, with everyone getting like uh, kind of upset about the billionaires going to space. Mm-hmm. I thought if this happened to a billionaire in space, they'd be like, okay. <laughs> I'm out. Serves them right. That's what it would take. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jeff. What is your, in case you missed it this week? Well, I can't top that. I mean, <laughs> all I was going to say is, hey, guess what? It's still hard to make a truck, mm. an electric mm-hmm. truck. It's still hard. I don't know if you guys knew that. <clears throat> yeah. But the latest group to find that out is Cincinnati-based Workhorse Group. I don't know if you saw this. And tell me if this also sounds somewhat familiar. So apparently there's a report put out by a, a financial firm, and it included allegations of accounting fraud false pre-order numbers, reports of complaints from the company's customers, which included they actually did deliver some of their vehicles, their electric delivery vans, to FedEx and UPS, and they're being investigated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. Does this sound at all familiar, Lordstown Motors? Yeah, it's starting yeah. to sound like standard operating procedure. Is there like, only way to fund a brand new from scratch <laughs> car company is to lie about pre-orders? Fake it till you yeah. make it. Yeah, yeah. you just well, gotta. I mean, uh, not just in that, but I mean, uh, you covered the story today about uh, uh, Ford dealerships lying about orders so they could get more more cars, more yeah. Broncos in the door. Mm-hmm, that's true. That's yeah. just that's what you got to do. You got to, uh, Jeff. Uh, yeah, it does sound familiar. It's troubling, mm-hmm. but I think it also echoes the point that it's just really hard. It's very hard to make yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, their stock price is down like 70%. I mean, they're just, they're in a rough shape. The one sort of positive, I don't know if you can say positive, but at least we talked about, we had the story earlier. We talked a couple of weeks ago about UPS drivers were finally getting new trucks, or excuse me, oh, post office, post office post, yeah. postal service. Yeah. Drivers were actually getting new trucks, but it was being held up. Mm-hmm. Because Workhorse was challenging the contract that they got from that was awarded to Oshkosh. Yeah. Well, they're kind of backing away from that now. They're not, they're not so worried about about you know challenging that contract being awarded to Oshkosh. So hopefully, at least the post office drivers oh, maybe, mm, yeah. will get their trucks a little bit sooner, get those updated vehicles. But it does not look good for Workhorse. I actually just saw some additional stuff. They completely cleaned house in their executive level. Oh no! Um, they fired a bunch of people and replaced them. Oh. They were asked to leave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, they were especially bowed out. <clears throat> yeah. And actually, just following up a little bit on Lordstown, did you see this? They're actually looking to sell that mm-hmm. factory. Oh, yeah. To Foxconn. Oh, yeah. Uh, Foxconn yeah. made up that story. Teaser, teaser for the <laughs> podcast next week yeah. when we talk about so, the Foxconn Lordstown deal. Yeah. Which sounds, I mean, it should just be out of the Inquirer. Yeah. Well, this one's <laughs> unfortunate because. Not even a year ago, Workhorse was looking good. Yeah. They actually had contracts in place. They had delivered a handful of vehicles. They actually had to recall the 40-some vehicles they delivered mm-hmm. because the customers were not happy with them is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. The reality is they may or may not have actually passed some of the NHTSA regulations mm-hmm. for safety. So yeah. they brought those back too. So They've, not looking great for Workhorse. They faked it until they almost made it. They almost made it, yeah. Um, I think they were really betting. On that post office contract for those mm-hmm. trucks oh, that yeah. fell through, and as a result, their numbers looked bad. Is this business karma? Business karma. I mean, they went after Oshkosh. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it was just just didn't work. And I think with electric vehicles right now, it's just really tough to. Everybody's talking about so much momentum and so much 
activity and everything else going into electric vehicles that if you've got that and you've got a little mm-hmm. bit going for you, you just think it's going to turn. Mm-hmm. It's going to turn. But making vehicles is hard and expensive, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that are working at those facilities. So that's that's the first place you go. You worry about all those workers there and in Cincinnati. So mm-hmm. hopefully they can turn it around, but it does not look good for Workhorse right now. Anna, does it look good for Workhorse in, in your opinion? It doesn't. <laughs> no? Yeah, I just wish that we could, I don't know. It's expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's why these companies with no product end up on the stock market before they have a product. Mm-hmm. But, geez, yeah. you know? Like, there's yeah. been a lot of smoke and mirrors, um, you know, by these companies, I think because they're desperate to, like, maintain their position to even, like, get to market. Yeah. Um. So, you, you know, I don't think that all these companies are, like – innately run by like individuals that are you know hoping to be fraudulent or you know right. like yeah. deceive the public deliberately or their stockholders but it i feel like we put them in a really tough position when they they post ipo like yeah. before they have anything to show yeah. for it yeah um and the ridiculous nature of it makes me laugh but i do to jeff's point i do feel bad for all the workers at these facilities Mm -hmm. because sometimes it seems like people at the top don't know what they're doing or they're really on a razor's edge and they hold a lot of lives in the balance. Mm -hmm. Very true. So, all right. Uh, Well, hopefully it turns around. What was the recall for the battery? So they, it was a voluntary recall. okay. Okay. So they didn't go into specifics, but it's basically thought that, a lot of the safety testing that was done by the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, mm-hmm. they had passed that, but there was a little bit of paperwork issue. Like, maybe not so much. Oh, okay. Like, maybe maybe they didn't quite do that right. So okay. that's why they recalled them. It was not a forced recall. It was a voluntary recall. Um, so we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts this week before we get out of here. Um, Anna, what are your final thoughts? Mm. <clears throat> My final thought this week is I um, found out this week that um, a friend of mine had been deceptive and not Mm. told me the full truth about his background. And it came to light that David went by Dave all through high school and never, ever shared this with us, despite the fact that he hates to be called Dave. He was Mm. always rather Mm. adamant about it. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dave's sell cars. I'm David. <laughs> uh, no, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like this uh, problem with workhorse, right? Like yeah. sometimes it just gets away from you and you can't <laughs> rein it in anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, let's just say that uh, individuals in high school are not, uh, you know, hey, actually, I prefer David. Yeah. Right, Dave. <clears throat> so uh, as I said, I, like I, gr- I grandfathered everybody in. And mm-hmm. so everyone to a certain point call me Dave. Yeah. Family. There's two people in the world that can call me Davey. Different story. Um, but yeah, no. After that point, David. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Azure. I appreciate that. <laughs> you uncovering <laughs> that one for Anna. Um, Jeff, what's your final thought this week? So I was on a plane for the first time in like two years How was uh, that? last weekend. It was good. And really the mask was not a problem. It was a long flight. I went down to Phoenix. It was about a three-hour flight. I did not mind wearing the mask, but we we need to face somebody in product development needs to figure out something to do with like the strings going behind the ears. Mm. Yeah, man, that that like got weirdly sensitive. Yeah, back there wearing the mask for that long. So mm-hmm. 
need to figure out a solution there. Like and I'd be fine. Of... Did you have like the surgical mask or the N95? Uh, yeah, the surgical. Okay. Yeah. I have found it sounds dumb, but like when you, you can't have the fresh surgical mask on. If you're going, if you're going to wear it for a long time, <laughs> like roll it in the dirt. for No, a while. no. It's got to be something that you've worn a little bit just because like, you're right. Like it gets, uh, it kind of gets embedded back there and it gets just raw. Yeah. It just got really sensitive. Yeah. Uh, so it could be I'm like, sure there's somebody smarter than me who can figure something <laughs> right. out there, but it could be like the masks I ordered at the beginning of the pandemic that are maybe big enough to fit a small child. And yet <laughs> 12 adults were trying to like wrap them around the softball masks yeah. yeah yeah and you're just like uh you have back, a small child well you need it at the time i didn't uh well i mean they weren't masking yet <laughs> um but remember like the extenders were a thing oh yeah it's like mm-hmm. you shouldn't make an extender you should make a bigger mask yeah well at the beginning when we were all like well we should all get a mask because we need to wear one for the next 10 to 12 days yeah no it was uh now I we all bandana. have like ten thousand masks oh like, they're everywhere yeah yeah, yeah. no uh yeah, at the at the outset, I definitely went bandana first because I'm like, okay, here's my way of making everyone feel comfortable. I'm sure it'll work. And then obviously that was really wrong. <laughs> Needed to change it. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, my final thought is uh, uh, just a thank you to all the friends and family that helped celebrate the birthday of my youngest kid, Caden. Um, and this thank you serves as the official thank you. You'll be receiving nothing in the mail from me. <laughs> Wow. You've got everybody subscribing and listening. Yeah, no. We'll just get this clip. We'll shoot out an email. Nice. Did you want to circle back to that toilet one more time, or are we good to go? Well, so while we were doing final thoughts, I was thinking about the toilet again. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, no, please uh, send any leads to future space toilet stories to myself or uh, our assistant editor, Nolan, at IEN.com. He's uh, got our space toilet beat He's on the toilet beat. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. To email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also recommend any stories that you'd like us to cover and in case you missed it. All right. Also, please make sure to subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure that you get the podcast in your inbox first all right for jeff and anna i'm david manti and this is the today in manufacturing podcast we'll see you next week thank you for listening to the today in manufacturing podcast